1: hey what's up everybody welcome back to the kingdom bringer podcast i'm your host darren eubanks happy to be here with you spring is afoot at the time of this recording it's a beautiful 70 degrees i just came inside from mowing and tis the season stuff's greening up and i like it just feels so much better than the cold stuff. It's still kind of windy, but this is Kansas. I always say I'm in the wrong climate because I'm kind of hard to please with the weather. I don't like the cold and I'm not a huge fan of the heat. And unfortunately, those are the two main seasons we have here in Kansas. Cold and really hot, but it's all good. Again, I'm glad to be here with you. we got a cool episode today talking with Michael Parati of 7IM Church in Mineola, Kansas. He is a big city kid from the East Coast that has been called to minister in Southwest Kansas. A very small town, population of about 800 people, and he's got big, big vision and a real passion to steward the move of God in his little community. We talk about some of the struggles that that has been, some of the misconceptions maybe of of ministry, especially in 2023. He was also part of a uh, disaffiliation process, taking over a United Methodist Church and disaffiliating from that denomination and starting up a brand new brand, a brand new name, and a brand new movement. It's been fun to watch from afar, so it was awesome to be able to sit down and communicate with him face-to-face for the first time. I really, really think you're going to enjoy this, especially if you're called to the ministry in any capacity whatsoever. I think you're going to get some nuggets out of this, some important things that are just good to know about the ministry and about God's call on your life. So before we get into that, I want to remind you guys of a few things, a couple things. Here's some housekeeping. First, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please go rate, review, and subscribe. Share it with your friends all the things on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, wherever you're listening to it, please do us a favor. Subscribe or follow and leave a review. It's a simple, simple process. Please, please, please. It really, really helps. Thank you in advance. Also, I want to remind you, this episode brought to you by KingdomBringer.com. That is the hub for all things Kingdombringer. Every podcast episode's there, every blog. There's a store now where you can purchase your own Kingdom Bringer gear. Get yourself a hat, a shirt, Revival or Die, Kingdom Over Everything, or the standard Kingdom Bringer hat. Check them out. Please go show your support. That's a simple way you guys can support and get some swag. I would appreciate that very much. Again, that's at KingdomBringer.com. Calm again, every bit of that meant to build up and encourage the body of Christ to be everything they were created to be. So, if you or someone you know needs a little bit of encouragement, send them our way. Kingdombringer.com. Without further ado, let's get into episode number 94. This is Stewarding Small Town Revival. With Michael Parati of 7am Church. Be blessed. Michael, what is going on, my friend?
0: Dude, what's going on, man? Hey, thanks for ha- having me. I- I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, just kind of catch up with you. And I- I've been listening. Uh, you got a lot of good stuff coming out. And yeah. man, it's an honor to to just join you today.
1: And I appreciate that. And uh you were you were somebody when I first it's been a about a year, I think, or so, that I've kind of been following what you've got going on. And I knew that you were gonna be somebody that I wanted to have on the podcast. And I've got a lot of things, bro, that I, I wanna like this is our first time actually meeting and conversing in, in person, like face to face. Um, kind of chatted through through text and social media and stuff, but uh, I've got a lot of things that I really want to dive into with you. Uh, just right off the bat, you're—I consider you a young guy in ministry, and that always excites me because the culture likes to tell us that people are falling away from the faith, and that yep. this this young generation is is losing their faith. And so I'm always stoked when I when I see a young chap going after it and and going after the things of the Lord. So. I want to, if you don't mind, real quick, kind of introduce yourself to the audience, introduce like where, where you've come from, um, and maybe how you kind of started in in ministry.
0: Yeah, so, I, uh, so I'm an East Coast boy, and uh, now I currently live in uh, Mineola, Kansas. So I grew up East Coast. I've kind of just been city my whole life. And uh, I like to say, I know that I'm in the place the Lord has called me, if it's the very opposite of what I would choose for myself. And so this is not a sexy city that I'm in. It is not, you yep. know, the mega church, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and God really called us here. And I had a heart for these people. And uh, so we're in a town of about 800. And I have the honor of being the lead pastor here at 7im Church. And uh, how we got that point, that's a long story in and of itself. Yeah. But uh, I really got started in ministry from a young age. When I was 18, I, I moved to Nashville for college and was looking for you know some work to do while going to school. And I picked up a job at a homeless shelter in Nashville. And at that time, their chaplain was getting ready to retire. And so they approached me because I worked the shift on Sunday mornings. And they were like, hey, our chaplain's retiring. We don't know how long it's going to be before we hire somebody else. Can you take over our church service that we have for They had a a program, kind of a halfway house for men. And then they also had a street ministry. So we would feed them breakfast, but then we'd have church together. And they said, would you take this thing over? And I'm like, guys, I'm, I don't know if I have anything to bring to the table. Like I was 18. (laughs) I grew up kind of upper middle class and some of the guys in our program, I mean, they'd been in and out of prison and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I sure, but I hope your expectation isn't high. And so I started doing worship and uh, I would bring kind of video teaching in. So I stole a lot of like Stephen Furtick off YouTube and those kind of things. And um, eventually one of the guys in the program just said, hey, why don't you just speak one week? We want to hear from you. And I was like, dude, I don't know about that. And so (laughs) I went and I don't say this like I, I I still don't know how I feel about it, but I went and I listened to a Stephen Furtick message. And I almost wrote down his entire outline, and then I just went and I preached his message. And uh, obviously, it's my own flavor, my own stories. But uh, yeah. I, yeah, I preached it, and man, half the room gave their life to the Lord. Wow! And uh, at first, I was like, "Well, it's because it was a Stephen Furtick sermon," and and uh, then Holy Spirit just started confirming, "Michael, I've given you a gift. I've given you grace yeah. to preach." And uh, I had kind of a a traumatic experience as an 18-year-old where one of my campers, I worked at a Christian camp, was killed in a tornado. And so I watched the reality of evil and darkness in our world consume a life. But through that, I watched the grace and the love of Jesus um, be poured out into a situation that really looked unredeemable, and he redeemed it and did amazing things through tragedy and so I just kind of began sharing more of my story. And uh then I jumped on board with a church plant just outside of Nashville, a new tribe church. And they're man, they're still killing things for the kingdom today. Yeah. So it's awesome to see that. And uh and that's kind of just where it all where it all began, where it all took off. So just a, a young boy in the city who uh believed that he was an inadequate vessel and uh, just said yes to being used by the lord and the lord was ready to use me he was just waiting for me to say yes so
1: i'm always intrigued by people's callings to ministry um i mean since i was 16 years old i i truly believe that i felt that calling to ministry and that's evolved over the years i think when you're when you're young you think i'm going to be a youth pastor and then i'm going to be the you know the head of the yep. big church and I, you know, you kind of have these I think the American church has built these platforms and these stair steps that lead to them, yep. and all these things. But I'm I'm interested in 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 you particularly. What what was it as a young guy that? What was that calling to ministry like for you? What was the process for that?
0: So yeah, I mean, I think it's different for everyone, and yeah. uh, I think, and especially nowadays, I think we're seeing it with podcasts and social media and just the ability to connect more, um, ministry is so broad, like, because I I truly believe there's people called to ministry, but they're not called to vocational ministry. They're not called to full-time ministry. And so I like to encourage people and say, you don't have to be in full-time vocational ministry to have a full-time impact for the kingdom of God. That's good. And uh, so I think, you know, when we say, oh, I'm called to ministry, some people immediately jump to, well, I got to go serve in a church. I got it. And sometimes that's not the case. And so, but for me, I I really just rejected it. I didn't want to do it. Like I was, I had an internship in the music industry. I was set to make, you know, six figures right out of, school and make it you know my dream was to make it big time i was going to be a booking agent working for some of the biggest artists in the country and I'd already started to carve that path out and uh for me what i did was i said no to that in order to take a part-time uh youth pastor job while working full-time at starbucks to pay the bills and so you give up what looks sexy to follow the lord but in my heart i just had this burning desire to see people come to know Jesus. And I couldn't shake it. And and I yeah. guess that's how I knew I was called because it's like the Lord just continually pressed in my heart this desire to see people come to know him. And it started with students. And I knew I wasn't going to achieve that in the career path that I had originally thought was for me. And uh, I just I surrendered all. And uh, it's scary You know, I, I look at Paul and in the letters he writes to Timothy and he gives Timothy all these warnings of, Hey, don't, you know, don't be quick to jump and say, you want to be a teacher and you want to do this and you, and, uh, because there is this weight that comes with it, but the benefit and the grace, if you're graced with that call, it is a beautiful thing. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I love that we have gotten to the point that we don't have that that specific rigid structure of it's ministries only in a church and you have to start as a youth pastor. Then you go to associate, then you go to, and, and how I even ended up as lead pastor is So not normal, um, for most people. Um, and, but it's all God. And yeah. so, you know, that's kind of how I, I came about it. I don't even know if I answered your question. No, you did. And I think, um, I mean, but
1: I mean, th- there was an initial, initial unction, right? I mean, you, you, yep you knew that it was something outside of yourself that was pulling you. And, almost and I think what it something.
0: was, was I saw the fruit like okay. that first time that I preached. And then as I continued to just be a vessel of the Lord, I saw the fruit of that. Yeah, And I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is my gifting. This is my calling. And like, I think that's where like understanding that is so important because not everybody is called to preach. And you know, there's there's pastors who preach, but there's also pastors that their gifting really isn't preaching and teaching. Their gifting is shepherding and it's being present with people. And so, and that's just as valuable in the kingdom. You know, that the kingdom yeah. is a body and it needs all parts. And so I, I think when you see the fruit firsthand in a specific that you're doing and in a specific way that you're serving, you can use that to kind of go, okay, this is probably my calling because God's blessing it and things are growing when I'm doing it. Where if people are, you know, if you're just hungry for a pulpit and, and you're, you know, seeking areas to speak and preach and you're not seeing the fruit of it, then you might go, man, maybe this isn't my calling, but I've still got this this desire to do ministry, what's that look like next? And ask God to show that to you. Um, So I think that's kind of what that was, was seeing fruit, not the worldly success, but seeing the spiritual fruit come out of just being a vessel of him.
1: As a young guy stepping into ministry, did you have uh, spiritual fathers in your life? Did you have mentors that were also helping lead you and guide you into the right direction of ministry? Because yeah, so, that, like you said, there's always a there's often misconceptions about what ministry is, about what pastoring looks like. And I, I want to hit on that real quick because I do believe, I mean, something that's been so highlighted to me over the last year and a half has just been the importance of pastoring. Like, yep. If don't call yourself a pastor if you're not willing to pastor, right? To get yep. I mean, I, I grew up on a sheep farm. And that's that's how I look at things is through that agricultural language, and I know what it's like, and I know what you have to be in order to be a good shepherd. You got to get dirty. You got to be willing to fight. You got to be willing to break up fights. I mean, all that stuff. And so, I do think there's so many people want to go to um, Bible school, and their their instinct is just, "I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to be a pastor." And did you have older men leading you into those? Decisions.
0: I did. And I think for a while it took me a little bit to realize the value of them. Yeah. Um, because you know, as a young man, you think and, and your pride does get to you. You see the benefit, you see the fruit, and you're like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. I got this. Yeah. And uh and and then I had a pastor who really brought me under his wing. And I I truly don't even know if I'd be alive today if it weren't for him. Wow. And uh, because I I had done ministry for a little while and then I threw in the towel. And he came into my life and said, no, man, you've still got a call. You're not disqualified. Um, God's still got his anointing on your life. And so I really started to see in that moment the value of membership. And uh, it's really hard to disciple others if you're not willing to be discipled. Sure. And uh, not by not just by Jesus, but also by other men, other mentors who are speaking into you. And so even today, I've got five or six uh, brothers, you know, men that are older, much wiser, that I meet with either once a week or every other week and just bounce ideas off and listen to and talk to. And and they hold me accountable. That accountability piece is so important. And uh, it's not from a place of, hey, we don't like you. We think you're doing this wrong. It's yeah. They really want to get me to answer the question, why? Why do I do things the way that I do? Why do I think this way? How am I leading? What does that look like? Um, because they've got experience and wisdom from being there. That's good. And uh so there's so much, man, there's so much value in that. And as far as you, you know, as you say, that the pastor thing goes, is I didn't really see it until and this is a funny story, but when I first really took over our church here and we started walking through some changes and processes, I just have a heart to love people. Yeah. And so there was a family in our community that they they needed help at their house. And so we, we got them a dumpster and I'm not the guy, like if I'm going to ask somebody else to do something, I'm going to be the first one to do it. Yeah. And so I show up and I'm like knee deep in this dumpster, like hanging out, serving this family and uh, somebody from our church, they no longer call our, our church home anymore, but they drove by and they like called me aside. Hey, you know, Michael, get over here. And, Hey, what are you doing in their dumpster? I said, I'm loving them, serving them. What are you doing that? I thought you were the pastor. Like, we got other people that can do that. Wow. And I'm like, I I think you're misunderstanding the difference between a preacher and a pastor. Right. And some churches in America, they've got a preacher and they're gifted, they're anointed, they're amazing communicators. But their job is to prepare a message, show up on Sunday and preach. And they're mm active in the life of their church or the life of the people within their church. And, uh, for me, I'm a firm believer Mm -hmm. that if I'm going to preach to the people, I've got to know the people. I want to know their stories. I want to get to, I want to be in the thick of it with them. And uh, just like a shepherd, man, man, that shepherd is going to go right in the thick of the mess with the sheep. It's going to fight off the goats. It's going to, you know, it's going to attack the wolves that are trying to attack the sheep and uh so yeah, and and that's my call, you know. I think yeah. I think I, I I've started to see that and uh, it's a little different, you know. I'm I'm 27, man. Yeah. So uh for some people to go, yeah, my pastor's a 27-year-old and he's loving us and he's leading us. Um, it's definitely shaking some things up. Yeah. But uh I think it's amazing and I'm loving it and God's moving and I'm humbled every day that I get to call this this thing that I love a job and that I get paid to do it. So yeah,
1: that's awesome, man. Well I want to I know what initially led you to Kansas? I know you're an East Coast kid, kind of yeah. been up and down the East Coast, Nashville a little bit. What what brought you to to Mineola, Kansas? I, I yeah, grew up in I, I grew up in Jetmore, Kansas, about 40 miles away.
0: From, which is north, right? It's correct, just straight miles north,
1: north yeah, exactly. Straight north. And uh played sports against Minola. been in Minola a lot. Uh the, the church that you're sitting in right now is actually the first church I ever preached at. I did uh really I did some I mean I, I have done some itinerant ministry here yep. and there, bit you know, gone to a few places and uh Kip Ryherd was yep. I, I worked at um, United Methodist Youthville. That's actually where I met my wife. Okay. And Kip was the chaplain out there yep. and invited me to, to preach on a, as my first Sunday morning preach was at the Miniola United Methodist Church. And so I see that, I see that sign behind you, the yep. 7im church. It does not say Mineola United Methodist Church. Can you, I've got some friends and some family that is Going through some disaffiliation stuff with the Methodist Church. And I was having some conversations with them actually a couple days ago. It's been kind of hot on Facebook. Uh, they had they had their vote, their official vote, whether or not they were going to remain a part of the United Methodist Church. Apparently the vote, uh, they lost the vote, so they're going to stay a part of it. And I was kind of talking... Talking through some stuff and I I knew I was gonna be recording an episode with you and I thought about you guys because I know you guys went through that. Can you explain the process? I guess I, I asked you what brought you to Mineola, but I know that was a lot had a lot to do with the whole disaffiliation thing a little bit too. Can you explain um, the process of that? What that looks like. You've been through it, you've gone through it. Why did you come to Mineola to the United Methodist Church? And why does that sign behind you say 7IM Church?
0: Yeah, so it's a uh, a fully loaded question. I actually, I was Very living in loaded, South yes. Florida and uh, met my wife on Instagram, and she's from Mineola. So she grew up here, was born and that. raised here.
1: Okay. And uh,
0: when they were here, the last church they were a part of was the Methodist Church. And yeah. so it would have been kind of towards the tail end of when Pastor Kip was here. And uh, then they moved to Dodge. And okay. so we met, we got married and I was already kind of in a season of transition, um, from the church I was just at in South Florida. And we really just spent some time praying. And I, I knew at some point, you know, ministry is still what God hadn't had for us. She wanted yeah. to be a pastor's wife, which is crazy. Yeah, um, man. and, uh, but I'm so grateful God gave her the grace to do that and, mm-hmm. uh, we just felt led to come back to Kansas. And man, yeah. I had no idea. I'd never been out here other than trips. And so I took a job at a meatpacking plant. I was working at Cargill. I was on the fab floor cutting the chuck boner, you know, the <laughs> shoulder and ribs. And, yep. um, and I'd come home and I'd ice my hands and we were just like, man, God, what do you have in store for us? Like, this is not Thank what you, I God. thought.
1: Thank you, God. Thank you,
0: God. Yeah. And uh, we ended up kind of through connections and her dad ran into some people down here at the church and, um, the local church here in Mineola was going through really just a season of getting pastors from the denomination that weren't connecting locally, Yeah, um, amazing people, God fearing people. Um, but they just weren't connecting to the culture locally. And so they were really the local congregation was kind of getting a little fed up with the denomination at that point. Then they're seeing all the things that were taking place on the much larger scale within the denomination. And we were a pretty conservative um body. And so they heard I was in had moved back to Kansas or moved to Kansas. My wife was back and knew I was in ministry. And they came to us and said, hey, would you be interested in coming down and doing some outreach for us and getting some youth stuff and young adult stuff started? Because the average age at that point of our yeah. congregation was probably 65, 70. Yep. And so I said no. Um they said, yeah, we're the Mineola United Methodist Church. And um i i'd spent some time kind of studying and watching what was happening in yeah. the denomination and uh, if you're listening and you're you are a part of that denomination i want you to hear from somebody who walked through disaffiliation we do love you um we, we are the church um the greater church yeah and so nothing i say is an attack on the denomination per se or specific individuals connected to the methodist church um, but what we were seeing take place was the authoritative word of God was not priority anymore. Yeah, And uh, you could say whatever issue you want, um, it was much deeper than just Per se, we disaffiliated because of their their stance on same sex or their stance on transgender. We disaffiliated because we did not see our denomination putting the word of God as the priority in their decision making. And so when you allow that to change, then it opens up the door for a lot of things. And so. What we saw taking place locally was, are we ever going to see the full benefit of God's blessing on our house if we're flying the banner of a denomination that is not truly submitted to the authority of God's word? Wow! And so we made a decision, and uh, I was serving as the outreach pastor at that time, and the fact that I even got hired was a miracle, um, because I didn't go through any of the Methodist teachings or anything, so... Yeah. Uh, we kind of went through some loopholes there. And when it came time to start to have the conversation of affiliation, which that's the only reason I ended up taking the job, they said, hey, I know we're Methodist, but we want to disfiliate it at some point. And yeah. I said, OK. And I had no I had no desire to take over the church like God had laid it in my heart a long time ago that I was going to plant a church one day and steward uh relationships for the kingdom but i was thinking i'd raise a baby from the beginning and it'd be in a sexy city and all this kind of stuff and uh then when we were on staff they came to us and said hey would you help us transition and disaffiliate and i'm like okay and they're like would you be interested in taking over and I said, all right, we're going to pray about it. And so my wife and I prayed about it. We actually went and interviewed at several other churches that were interested in hiring us to be on staff. And uh, we just felt like every door that we wanted to walk through was getting closed. Wow. And uh, I really knew it was going to be a struggle to yeah. lead a church through this process. And so I I really when, didn't when, when want to say that? yes. What you, what um, was that? so we our disaffiliation was official July 1st 2022 okay um but these conversations started taking place in December of 2021 okay. okay and so we came back it was January of 2022 and we said hey we're all in we yeah. love this church we love these people um let's do this thing and man it was worse than we could have expected um and I'm a I'm a vision guy and yeah. so we had a lot of different things taking place. Number one, um you've got tradition
1: right
0: And uh I there you know, there's traditions that I love um and you know, you had told me one of the things you kind of wanted to talk about today if we got there was what leads to disunity in the church right And uh, I took notes you know before and was praying and one of the things that I believe leads to disunity in the kingdom is the value of tradition over kingdom. Um, Are you more in love with your tradition or are you truly in love with Jesus? And so we started to ask difficult questions of our people of we're pushing against, you know, years, decades of Mineola Methodist tradition in order to break through this change. And uh, so I started, you know, we started having meetings I started casting vision as far as what changes are going to take place. Are we just going to change our name and disaffiliate from the denomination, but remain the same church? And I was like, no, that to me, that's a waste of time. Um, We have an opportunity to really make some serious adjustments to methods in order to see the mission move forward. And uh, so we started sharing vision and casting vision and doing these things. And uh, really trying to get buy-in. And so I think that was so important because we did it before the disaffiliation vote. And so the Methodist denomination will tell the local church if they want to disaffiliate that they have to have a congregational member vote and three quarters or whatever it is has to say, yes, we want to disaffiliate in order for that to get finalized. And uh, so we cast vision before the vote. So people weren't voting based on, well, we want to disaffiliate but we have no idea where we're going right. next because we did not want people to vote to stay with the denomination just out of comfort good, or man. honestly out of fear of the unknown of the future. And so um, we cast some vision and we thought it was going to help us. But what was interesting is I actually think it hurt us wow. because People wanted to keep their church the same. And so they started to go, okay, well, I'm conservative. I don't agree with the denomination, but I don't want my church to change. I I don't want the wall colors to change. I don't want our decorations to change. I don't want our, I don't, I don't want to change because change is hard. And uh, dude, we passed that vote to disaffiliate by two votes. And, uh, at that meeting, now I wasn't a member, so I couldn't even vote. And uh, but I showed up, and you know there was some Q and A time before we took the formal vote. Our district superintendent from the Methodist was here, and we had some some statements made. and And I <clears throat> boldly stood up, and I said, "I love this church. I love these people. But if we vote to stay Methodist, this Sunday will be my last Sunday in this house." Wow. And uh, I took a lot of flack for that. And, but I, I truly believe what I said. And I, I never strayed away from it because I value the word of God for what it is and truly mm-hmm. believe it is just as relevant today as when it was first written. And it's not up to me to change that. So and so I'm not going to keep myself from experiencing the blessings of God and the power of Holy spirit to move in my life. And uh, man, that thing passed. And then it was go time. Yeah. Um, we made the shifts we made, you know, we were a committee run church as a Methodist church. So we made that shift to a leadership team or elder run board, um, church. So we've got a team of seven people and we make all of the decisions, large decisions as a church, that upset some people because they didn't have the same control they had before. And we totally renovated the space. Um, we had pews, we removed the pews, we shifted things on the stage. And, uh, the biggest thing for me was I was going to have an answer to the question. Why for every single thing that I did. That's so good. And so a lot of churches that are facing this, they're balancing, the love of tradition, they're balancing balancing legacy and history and all these other things. And well, we have people that have given so much to our church. Are we going to lose? And the question at the end of the day that you have to ask yourself is, what is our number one priority? Is it to truly be submitted to the word of God? And then are we truly going to do whatever it takes to make that happen? And uh, we have seen God just pour out his blessing on our house. And uh, it was not without a battle. It was not without a fight. And we had some people leave and they transferred membership to the Dodge United Methodists or or other churches. And um, the question, it's funny, the question that actually came up quite often was the United Methodist denomination then created a branch called the Global Methodists. Okay, I've
1: heard, um, I've heard this. I think I don't...
0: which is it's essentially a conservative branch of okay. the Methodist Church. Okay, and so it was a <laughs> one an that option. values scripture
1: better than the other one is a... <laughs> I,
0: And it I, and it was a option for churches to still have the connection to the denomination for pastor fulfillment and all these other things yeah. um, without officially going through. The full disaffiliation process. And so, you know, we asked those people, asked us that, why aren't you going uh, global Methodist? And and it, I just simply laid it out like this I'm an American citizen, correct? Okay. Am I a Democrat or a Republican? That doesn't matter right. because I'm American. Yep. So the United Methodist
1: is now created. United one flag Methodist flies higher.
0: That's right. And then global Methodist. So if I identify as global Methodist, I'm still submitted to the same authority That's right. of the greater United Methodist Church. And who we submit to on earth matters. So good, and if we're not submitted to an authority who submitted to the word of God in the kingdom of heaven, then we actually take ourselves out of the outpouring and the blessing of being in the favor of God and the outpouring and blessing of heaven. And so, but it, it it goes much deeper than denomination. If you're at a church and your pastor or their leadership is not submitted to the word of God and the authority of heaven, then get yourself out of that church. Yeah, um, Because you might love that person. You might like some things about it, but ultimately who they're submitted to Matters, and if yeah. if we're submitting to that greater denomination that is making decisions that don't reflect the full authority of the Word of God, then why would we even go under some conservative branch or something like that? And so, um, we had, you know, we had tough convers. Man, it's tough. Yeah, it, it's it's brutal. I mean, we are people, and every single one of these people that left our church, I love dearly. Um, but in all honesty, I, I didn't chase them. I I didn't beg them to come back. Um, I wanted people to stay because we were making Jesus the main thing. And that's the main thing in their life. And uh, we saw an entire shift of culture take place. And uh, you know, what's amazing is I think we had eight or 10 people leave and God's brought like, 50 people in their place so it's like we've seen we've seen the overflow of that and you know numbers aren't everything but numbers are souls and souls matter in the grand scheme of eternity so um that's kind of the long story i tried to make it as short as i could and no i get it um you know but and i do want to you know i i do my best in conversations to be respectful because i've got i've got friends and family members that are part of the methodist church and denomination And uh, one of the things that I love and that I I valued as a win was we took a stand against a denomination that was not making um, decisions based on the biblical authority of God's word. Yet we chose also to stand in the gap and love people who are not perfect. And the very people that the Methodist denomination Are celebrating or placing in positions of leadership that do not reflect a lifestyle of a heart surrender to the Lord. We have had people show up to our church or join us online who are in same sex relationships, who are going through seasons of transitioning and all that kind of stuff. And I'm here to say we stood for the truth in God's word and we love people where they are and they still feel welcome in this house. Good. And uh, that was that was a huge win for us, and that's my number one priority. That we're just the church is here to love people, yeah. And uh, but we're not going to change who we are or what we believe in order to do that. Honestly, loving people is telling them the truth, yeah. And so we've kind of, as a culture, we've we've really kind of misrepresented what loving people truly is, and that's that's really overflowed into the church and some of these denominations and decisions that leaders are making. And, uh, so yeah, we took a stand for the truth and we're going to love people regardless. And, uh, we're going to just, as I say, we're going to love the hell out of them until Jesus gets in. That's good.
1: You know, it's, um, I'm going to speak from someone who grew up in that area has has moved out, but still, I'm still a Midwest guy it's tough it is i mean it is it is tough in southwest kansas to to find what i consider to be a good church and i'm just i'm I'm just saying this bluntly and like matter of fact as i can because i have conversations with with friends that are still there who have either just lost interest in church, stopped going to church. And for a lot of the reasons that they have, I can't blame them. You know what I mean? Like those people that are, and you made the point before, and it's true that this this isn't about the Methodist denomination or Presbyterian, or I don't care if you're non-denomination or if you're in somebody's living room, the word of God is the word of God, right? So this is about like standing on behalf of the kingdom of God is what this is all about. And I've got friends that are just—they're—they're they're still a part of a church that's just that they, they don't get it, and they're—they're—they're they're, they're not speaking truth, and they're not. We've been through a lot over the last two or three years as a nation and as a people, and there was definitely dividing lines that were worth standing on. You know what I mean? Like, if—if yep. if anything, God gave us this time of like, okay, church, I'm going to give you some platforms to stand on right now, and I'm going to make them super clear. And I'm going to make this an easier process for you maybe than you might think it is, but it's truth or it's lies, right? And so I've got people in my life that are just really struggling because they do not have a good, solid church anywhere near them. And in regards to this this church that i was speaking of before that is going through this disaffiliation process or trying to the vote they actually didn't have enough votes okay so they were just on the other end that you were you were a couple yep. couple votes ahead they were a couple votes behind and they're they're sad and they're hurt and they're confused and they know they make comments that they don't they can't be a part of a church that doesn't stand on bible truth yet they're still there to vote. And I'm saying this as somebody who's come out of that, and I'm nowhere in that region right now where I am super invested in it. But I got to the point where I told one of them, I said, vote with your feet. What are you doing? Quit messing around. You don't need approval from somebody else. You don't need permission. You don't need a vote to decide what you and your family are going to do. Yeah but i will say it's it it is difficult because if not here then where right and that's why i'm one reason i'm i'm super thankful that you are there in southwest kansas it's a regional thing for sure and what what's some advice that you would have for someone who's going through that right now i mean obviously it's it it is a matter of tradition right i've been going to the church for 30 years this deal with the Methodist Church, for instance, is not a brand new thing, bro. This has been no. like decades in the making, right?
0: Yeah, and, and there's there's yeah. large churches, you know, large Methodist churches that are going through. So it's not just in you know small town, you know, yeah. Midwest America. Yeah, and um, there's large churches in Texas and Alabama and Georgia that are disaffiliating, and uh, you know, it, it's funny because I. I'm learning, I'm new to Southwest Kansas. So I've experienced culture in a lot of different places. And so one of the things that I'm learning about regionally where I am is if it takes me 20 minutes to get somewhere, it's because it's actually 20 minutes away. There's this thing called (laughs) traffic that does exist in the world, but it doesn't exist in Southwest Kansas. And so if it's 20 minutes, it's because it's Literally twenty miles away, a
1: different community,
0: and it's a different community. Yep. And so sometimes you do have to leave your community in order to be a part of a life-giving, spirit-filled church. Yeah. Now, there's a few things that, that I want to say about that. Number one is we have some people who have recently started coming to our church that aren't in Miniola. They're driving the twenty minutes, the forty minutes, all that kind of stuff. And one lady said one Sunday, she said, I was really struggling. I was watching you guys online. I love the online presence, but online church does not fill the void that gathering. The Bible says, Amen. you know, don't stop gathering together. Amen. And uh, I think we saw some of the, uh, the overflow of what COVID did when churches stopped gathering because for the presence of safety, we gave up our fear of God. And so that's a totally different conversation. Yeah, but right. um, people have started to just get lazy. Yeah. And, and they've used online church as the excuse. And so, but I, I love the online presence. But this Which lady said, I watched enemy, you right. Yes, that was I watched plan. you online, but it's not the same. And this is what she said. She said, I was willing to make the drive to go to a church where the spirit was alive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to say it this way, she said the Lord told her, if the spirit's alive, it's worth the drive. And here's where I'm getting at. When I lived in Nashville... To get from one side of the city to the other was about 35 minutes. Not that it was 35 miles. It was 35 minutes because of traffic. People would commute from Mount Julia or surrounding areas an hour to an hour and a half to go to work every day. So driving 45 minutes to go to a church where the spirit was alive is normal for them. But we live in communities where we're so used to driving two minutes down the road to the gas station, a minute down the road to the co-op. We go here to work. We live in these small little bubbles. And so when we think of getting outside, yes, when we think of getting outside that community to go be a part of a church that is life giving it's kind of challenging.
1: It is. And
0: yeah. and then you have the, well, what are they going to say? What are they going to say? They have, you know, we have this perception. And so, number one, who are you living for? Are you living for the approval of man or are you living yeah. in agreement with God? And what I've learned is if I'm living in agreement with God, some people are going to disapprove of what I'm doing. That's, right. That's actually confirmation that I'm actually headed in the right direction. Good. Because if everybody's agreeing with me and if everybody's a yes man in my corner, then I need to ask myself, am I truly allowing myself to be Holy Spirit led? Because I look at Jesus. I look at the life of every disciple. I look at all the the greats of faith all throughout history. Not a single one of them achieved what God was calling them to without facing a disapproval or some sort of turmoil with man. Why? We live in a fallen world. So that's the thing. And then the other thing is don't just attend a church in a different community because the spirit's alive, but we are the church. That's right. And so I want to ask those people, what are you doing to bring heaven to your community? Yes, you need somewhere where you can go and be filled and be encouraged and be challenged and hear the truth of the word of God preached. But then what are you doing in your local community to then share that message and share that good news. Are you inviting people to come with you to church? Are you doing Bible study in your community? And so we're seeing, really, we're just beginning to see this kind of expansion of our reach just outside of Mineola. And so now as I'm the leader and pastor, I'm praying for vision. And now I'm praying, how do we shepherd this? How do we steward this? How do we see um, what's taking place here come alive in Buckland or come alive and, you know, Fowler or come alive in Mead and come alive yeah. in some of these other Ashland, some of these other small towns in the area where people are traveling to us. And, uh, and unfortunately, what's really what's happening is social media is keeping yeah. a lot of anointed spirit filled ministry individuals away from small town America. Wow. Um, we are being fed this lie that you have to be in a sexy city, you have to be in a church of two thousand to be successful in ministry. And uh, the reality is, is there are large cities that are oversaturated with churches. I mean, I'm just so true. I I just, I mean, I'm every day. I'm like, oh, this guy's planting a church in Nashville. Oh, so and so's planting a church in Nashville. oh so. There's already four or five spirit-filled churches. How many do you need? Yep. I'm like, yep. go to Gallatin, go to Memphis, go to some like wow. get outside. But it's not sexy. Yeah. It, it's not where. And so like, yeah, I'm not a I'm not a Wrangler cowboy boot wearing guy every day. Every once in a while I do, but I, I preach in my Jordans in Mineola, Kansas. But I'm preaching the Word of God, and when I preach the Word of God, His Spirit's alive and His Spirit's That's gonna move. Good. And so. I'm in a community of eight hundred. Like even if every single person in my community came to our church, I would not make the the national conferences of what it means to be a great preacher, what it means to be a great pastor, even though one hundred percent of my city, is being reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet people go into these sexy cities, they fill an auditorium with 3,000 people, and you have to look at the ratio of, okay, 3,000, but you're in a town of 5 million, so so you're reaching 0.02% of your city, and there's an opportunity to go into some of these communities and see 70, 80, 90% of that town come to know the Lord.
1: Transform a city. And I'm just saying,
0: you you look at history— revivals have broken out where in small towns in america nobody knew who asbury (laughs) university was until god and i'm just saying asbury is a methodist school so how ironic that we are watching a denomination who is heading one direction yet god decides to send his spirit upon that building and see people flock to an area to experience, but you don't have to go to Asbury to experience that. That's right. Like it's taking place in churches all across the country, and it doesn't have to be sexy. Like, like it's okay. And I'm just saying, y'all. Like, our first Sunday here, we had 19 people, <clears throat> and it was amazing. Yeah. And now we're averaging in the 90s a weekend. Yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah. But even if one person showed up. I'm preaching with the same enthusiasm and the same passion, because there was a man named Billy Graham that went to a church service, and he was the only one there, and the pastor preached a service, and he got saved, and look how many more people were impacted for the kingdom of heaven through that one pastor's willingness to show up, to serve, and be a vessel of the kingdom. That's so
1: good, man. You really hit on something about the overpopulating these, these bigger cities, and there is, it's is it safe to say it's an addiction? Like it's a ministry addiction almost to like have to go to these cities where you've got access to probably more things and more people and more stuff. And I think so many people through that addiction are being led straight to their demise because there's that comparison thing going on too, right? Like yep. I've got the and church I down say... the street here and the church down the street here and where you're at, you're not competing against anybody, you know? You get well, to do your thing in Minneapolis, and, and Kansas. You,
0: you, I wish I could say that, but uh, that's a that's a story for another time. Oops, I know what but you're talking. You can, uh, you can compare. I, I know
1: what that's like. Yeah,
0: it, and and sometimes it's actually that comparison traps actually some harder in small town because yeah. the church that is twenty feet across the street from me <laughs> is right there. Right. I'm not three miles from the closest church. And so, but I do agree. I think. But that, you're not
1: competing with them though. No, no,
0: no. But I'm saying when people, when people are seeing that comparison and they're yeah. going, what's that church doing versus this one, they really see two buildings right there. That's true. And, and that's where I'm reminding people, the church is not the building. Yeah. Um, the buildings are resources. And uh, so This. And how I say it is, Instagram is calling a lot more people to ministry than Jesus is, <laughs> um, because it looks good.
1: Wow. I mean,
0: it. I mean, l- I'm going to be an influencer. I'm going to have people following me. I'm going to have a, a stage to put myself I'm gonna a on. Podcast. I'm going to yeah. do this. I'm going to, and, and so we get infatuated with systems. Wow. And that's where I think we're forgetting the weight of the call. So and good. that's why we're seeing some of these celebrity preachers, and I hate that term, yeah. but they're having moral failures because their character was not in alignment with their calling so because good. they stepped into a position that God never called them to in the first place.
1: Based off gifts and, and so,
0: talents. Yeah. Based off gifts and talents. And so I I love the city. I'm a city boy. Um. But I'm also falling in love with the rhythms of small town living, yeah. And it's almost like we actually have more freedom to see God move. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a beautiful. Th- I'm I'm applying methods that we used in cities to do ministry because, to some extent, you have to be entertaining and engaging because when you play in a church in Orlando, Florida. People on a Sunday morning can wake up and go, do I want to go to Disney World? Do I want to go to the beach? Do I want to go to Universal Studios? Or do I want to go to church? And so now the church is trying to figure out ways to not teach the word, but also engage people and entertain them to some extent because there's so many options. Well, then you come to Mineola, Kansas. What the crap is there to do on a Sunday morning? That's right. Go to church. I, I mean, that's, yeah. so you, you introduce methods and people are like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. So it's kind of cool. Cause I'm bringing, yeah. you know, I feel like I'm bringing methods that have been in the church for five, 10 years and Miniola is 15 years behind everyone else. So I'm yeah. like this great innovator and people are like, what is this? And I'm like, dude, it's not my idea. I just stole it from somebody else that did it five years ago. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. but I think that when you're called to ministry and one of the things I had on my notes. Was, uh, are you ready to say yes for the sake of the gospel and the fulfillment of the Great Commission, no matter the cost? And if the answer to the question is yes, and God called you to go to a city that was not so sexy, are you still called to ministry? Because if you don't say yes to that, then I would challenge you to say I think you might be in it for the wrong reasons. Wow. And yes, you might have gifts. Yes, you might have talents. But are you truly stewarding those to expand the kingdom of God? And you might have success. You might have worldly success, even if you disobey in that moment. Yeah. But it will catch up to you. And at the end of the day, you're not going to see the same eternal reward and blessing and outpouring that you would have otherwise seen had you truly submitted and said yes to the calling no matter whatever the cost.
1: That's so good. We can't we can't have our our calling look like corporate America, right? Like there there can't be like this stepping stone mentality in regards to ministry. And I think there is so often kind of like we said before about I'm going to be a youth pastor here, I'm going to be here, and I'm a vision guy too. Yeah, you, know, you mentioned being a vision guy. So you yeah. you have this tendency that can sometimes be a curse <laughs> a little bit to always look forward right yep not and not embrace the now and where you're at but i think it's a beautiful it's a beautiful point that you made about are you willing to be where god's called you to be right now you know or am i doing this merely for a paycheck am i doing this merely for a stepping stone am i doing this am i building 7im church in Miniola? just to get noticed by somebody else that you can build things right and yep. i think that's a good that's a great way to to keep yourself grounded for sure um i feel like we're in this vein right now of of revival talk and i, I want to what are some in your in your estimation what are some keys to steward that small town revival i mean you've got Dodge City is kind of the the jewel of Southwest Kansas as far as population. I mean, you got Garden City there too, but you guys are a stone's throw away from Dodge City, right? So you've got access to things in Southwest Kansas that most of those small towns really do. What what would it take? What would it take for revival to break out in Southwest Kansas?
0: So I think... I am not a huge uh I'm not a guy who throws that word around a, a ton. Yeah. Um I like awakening. Yeah. Um I like uh, an outpouring. Um because to me when we see and and we really see the word revive in scripture more than we see the word revival. Yep. But when we see that word revive used, we see a shift we see god show up we see his presence manifest and then we see the people respond through repentance and a lifestyle change and so like even with this asbury thing you know everyone's like yeah. oh this great revival of you know whatever and, and i i did push back a little bit because i mean i i did the research i looked deeper into what was going on they had worship leaders that are living in lifestyles that are not you know that are contradicting of yeah. the word of God and all these things, and so I'm, I'm like guys, we can't call it revival yet. it's good until we see the fruit. Uh, yeah. Until there's true biblical repentance yeah. and a lifestyle shift in the heart of believers who are present, then it's really not revival. That's right. And uh, there, there was an outpouring for sure. I do yeah. believe it was a great awakening for a lot of people. Yeah. Um. And so for me, I kind of have a few. I, I was praying and, and I wrote a few de- few words down, and one of the things that I've been praying through is how do we as as pastors and as the church, how do we steward and turn a visitation from Holy Spirit into a habitation of Holy Spirit? And so what I mean by that is we show up on Sunday and Holy Spirit manifests and we visit with God. Well, how does that then turn into a lifestyle in the habitation of his presence? And so I've been in this personal study of developing a healthy fear of the Lord. And uh, I truly believe that is the number one requirement for this true biblical revival to take place is a healthy, genuine fear of the Lord. And what do I mean by that? We're not afraid of God from a lack of understanding of who he is or that he's judging. We actually fear him out of love because we know just how powerful he is. And what I'm watching take place really in America, and I spent some time in Tennessee, so I spent some time in the Bible Belt, is churches were super excited about a loving God. Mm. But when it came time to understanding a healthy fear of the Lord, yeah. they didn't understand it. Yeah. Um, people didn't take his presence seriously. And sometimes we come into moments of worship where God's presence is there and we're just not, we could care less.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and I I've really challenged our church. I'm like, guys, if if Patrick Mahomes stepped on this stage, would he have your full attention?
1: Yeah yes mm-hmm.
0: if uh marquise noel you know yeah. march madness king stepped on this stage would he have your fo- yes why because of their resume mm. because of their name because of this that i said can i tell you who is here that's good the king of kings and the lord of lords does he have your attention mm. A- and we all we we show up to church and we just check the box like yeah i went to church that's good but Were you expectant to experience the manifest presence of God? And did he truly have your full attention? And when he does, Mm. then that's where I believe the visitation can turn into habitation. And it becomes a lifestyle uh, of living in that fear. And God says all throughout Scripture, I mean, we see it in, and I think it's Acts chapter 5 um, where the husband, the husband and wife, you know, they're givers of the church and somebody comes in and gives a bigger gift than them. And, and they come in and they're like, oh, we sold our, our stuff and here's our gift. And it wasn't actually all of it because they kept some of it for themselves, but they wanted to look good because public appearance mattered more than the the inward expression. And so like, I don't know if y'all read your Bible, but they were killed (laughs) for a lack of truly understanding and fearing the power and presence of God. And so I I don't want to be in that place. Like, am I stewarding something to be perceived by the outside as revival, or am I truly submitted to allowing the manifest presence of God to continue and habitate with me on Mm a daily? And what happens with that is there's no sin. And I'm not saying it's a lifestyle of perfection, but I'm making every decision and every thought is submitted to the Lord. So there's no place for that. What else happens? Humility and unity. Why? Because I'm continually resting in the fear of the Lord and in his manifest presence. So therefore, there is no disunity because his spirit brings unity. There's humility because it's not about me. It's not about my church. It's not about my name. It's all about jesus. and, and that's what I believe is is true revival.
1: yeah,
0: and uh, it's and I, I it's not about four walls. Yeah. And so if we have to go inside of a four wall building to experience so-called revival, yeah, then I truly question whether or not it's a real revival that's good. Um, that's why I love like when you say a tent revival yeah like yeah there's a roof but there's no walls yeah okay. and like people walking down the street can open hear it air. people here can right. do it that's it's, it's open. and and I mean I part of me was heartbroken because I see these lines as at Asbury people spending thousands of dollars to fly yeah. from all over the world just to show up to four walls yeah. and I'm like y'all use those resources to take the kingdom where you are, invite Holy Spirit, have that healthy fear of the Lord in your life. And you can see this take place anywhere. That's so good. And uh, are we missing the mark just because we're spending resources to try? I mean, I, I think of the, the, uh, the the New Testament and the, the guys and gals that were waiting by the pool of Bethesda because they wanted the water to be stirred. And when the water was stirred, whoever was the first one in would experience yep. the miraculous healing. And everybody else is like, dang it, I missed it. Yep. And it's like, no, because the healing is not in the water. That's right. The healing is in the father. That's good. And so I, I just look at the, I'm like, the healing is not in the building. The healing yeah. is in his presence. Where does this presence show up? His presence will manifest wherever he is greatly feared. That's good. And uh, that can happen in the bedroom. That can happen in your your prayer closet. I mean, yeah. so that's kind of where I, you know, that's, that's good. my thoughts, two cents, I guess. I don't know. I hope well, I answer. I, that
1: I love that. And, you know, Psalm 22, three, he is enthroned on the praises of his people. And I've mm-hmm. always just had a beautiful picture of that, of God's people praising him and the word enthroned is the king yep. on the throne right that means he's not just there he's not just soaking it up he's actually king in that moment i have enthroned him that means his his rule is in play that means yep. like you said there is no sin holiness is in play righteousness is in play and there's a there's a healthy fear there when you really understand that my praises and uh, especially so now i'm with you it isn't about the four walls but we we talked about earlier the gathering is important right and so the people the praises of the people putting the king on the throne his ways and his his rules are being established and there's no room (laughs) for anything that's not in line with his kingdom and i think that's what i love that will break out
0: The the Bible says, you know, those who fear the Lord are his friend. And then later on, he also says that I reveal my secrets to my friends. And so you kind of ask that question: like, why do why do some pastors or why do some leaders in ministry seem like they're just they're just hitting it? They're like they're getting this supernatural vision, they're movers, they're shakers. And I say it's because they understand the healthy fear of the Lord.
1: They're friends of God. And
0: He's revealing Himself to them in different ways because they're friends of his. He reveals his greatest secrets to his friends. It's the same way. My wife knows things about me that nobody else will ever find out about because we have that deep relationship. And to some extent, I fear her. Mm -hmm. It's a healthy fear in a relationship. And so God's asking us and inviting us to be in relationship with him and to fear him in that relationship. And he's got secrets that he wants to reveal to us, but it's only going to come from that place. And so often we think it comes from doing more, or doing the right thing, or achieving this, or showing up here, or giving this, and God says, "No, I don't require any of that of you. I, I ask you to fear me, and out of that fear, you're now my friend, and I'm going to reveal myself to you in ways that other people won't understand, that the world doesn't even understand." And so, I don't know. That's kind of where I've been personally is, is I've been praying for personal revival in my heart because, to me, uh, a a pastor leader who's praying for revival in their church that is not yet experiencing personal revival is missing the point. Yeah. Um I want to see what takes place in in the house that God's called me to steward That's as good. an overflow and an outpouring of what God's already doing in my heart and in my life. That's so good. I love it. So,
1: bro, we could go so many more places, talk about so much more. I'm going to let you go at that. Before we cut this loose though, I want to ask you if you'd close us in prayer. And yep. I, I really I love your newfound heart and passion for the people of the Midwest. And I really would would like you to pray for this region in particular, if you don't mind. I've yep. got most of my listeners I am I've got with with every podcast it's a platform that's international, right? So we've got people from everywhere, but um I'm still a Midwest guy, man, and I care a lot about the people in the Midwest, that there's people that think there's nothing for them, and they think that it's only change coming, and they're scared of that change. But I think uh, with the presence of God also comes peace, right? Yep. And so I think there's a peace coming for those people that truly, there's peace coming for those people that vote with their feet when they're in a situation they shouldn't be in, in church. Yep. There's there's peace coming for those leaders that take a stand and say, I'm willing to lose this job if you're not willing to go this direction with the Lord. And that's, peace is coming. And so I just want to, will you, will you close this thing out in prayer, bro?
0: Yeah, no problem. And I want to encourage those listening that are in the region that there is a greater move of God, whether you see it or not. It's good. And there are there's shifts taking place locally and regionally in churches that is for the better. And Garden City is seeing a fresh outpouring yep. at a Spirit filled church, Cornerstone Church. Yep. Uh, Pastor Jason Swan, Dodge City. You're seeing it with Cross Connection Church and. Uh, pastor josh and um first christian and pastor dusty and you know so there there is opportunity and so I, I say that to say this seven Am church pastor michael is not the solution we are just a vessel we are just a part of what God is currently doing in our region and it's a humbling experience to be that small part and so I think you know Darren if you want to put my email or whatever you do yes. on the podcast so then yep. people can reach out because I'd look I am not just interested in building I'm interested in building the kingdom. That's right. And so I want to get you connected to a church that you feel at home and that you feel a part of and that the spirit's moving so you can grow. Um
1: give us it, your website. I'm going to put it in the show notes but what is it? Right? Okay, right.
0: 7 Number and seven. there's a there's a yeah the number seven and there's a connect card on there so they can fill that out connect. Um but the the thought and the illustration that just popped in my mind is if a plant is going to continue to grow you either have to change the pot that it's in or you have to prune it
1: say that again both. cut out just a little bit say that again
0: if a plant is going to continue to grow you oftentimes have to change the pot that it's in or prune it if it's not a potted plant or sometimes both that's good neither of those situations are comfortable that's right. pruning is not comfortable Taking something out of a pot to put it in another one is messy, all that kind of stuff. There's, But in order for growth to happen, you have to change. So Healthy good. things change. Growing good. things change. Good. And so change is not necessarily good. of the devil. Um, there are great things. The word of God never changes. So make sure that's not changing. But the method of how that is shared, and the process of going through that in the systems, they have to change. Culture changes every seven years. That's right. They tell us, and if we're going to continue to be effective for the kingdom, the church has to follow that as well. So, uh, or lead it. I think we ought to lead it. The church should be full of the greatest leaders and innovators that this earth has ever seen and uh microsoft google apple they keep stealing our innovators we need to get them a hold of jesus we need to let them understand his love and we need to bring them into the kingdom because this is where it begins so let's pray god we thank you lord i'm I'm so humbled and honored to just be a vessel of your love and Lord, I thank you for Darren. I thank you for this platform that you've given him. And God, I pray you would continue to grace his life, to to continue to lead this and steward it well, to truly see it become an even greater reality, not just here in this region, but literally around the world. And that as people tune in and listen, that through this digital platform, they would experience the manifest presence of Holy Spirit through every conversation that he has on here, God, I pray you would anoint every guest that he has on here, that you would enter in and create connections um, that would really supersede his ability um, to make them in the natural and that they would be supernatural connections to further the message and the mission of this podcast. And Lord, I pray right now over Southwest Kansas, God, I thank you for this region. And uh, Lord, we we believe and are praying for an outpouring of rain naturally, yes. but we're Amen. also believing and praying for an outpouring of supernatural rain, that Holy Spirit would fall into this place and that we truly would begin to see revival in the heart of the people. And out of an overflow of that, we would see it in the church. And uh, God, I pray that you would just continue to unify your people. That your sons and daughters would, would dream dreams, that they would prophesy, that they would begin to see the vision that it is that you have for this region, not just here in Southwest Kansas, but literally around the world. And uh, Lord, I, I pray that you would continue to multiply those who are in love with you and that you would equip your church to be bold, to share the gospel everywhere they go, and to love people as you love them on that cross. Lord we thank you just for the opportunity to worship you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to help us go be your church uh, every single day of our lives. We love you, Lord. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Bro, I appreciate you coming on.
0: Dude, thanks. We need to uh we need to zoom when we're not on a podcast and just hang out and talk it. shop and
1: I'm down. Uh, you and need I'm-
0: to you need yeah. to get out here to Kansas and preach some Sunday too. I'd love to have you out I'm down here. for that so, as well. Yeah, And then we can film like a podcast in the studio.
1: I love it. It like, looks we'll beautiful. Get, we'll it's get something be going. So cool. I'm excited for so, you. Sweet. I really am proud of you. I do love you like a brother and I'm proud to be running this race with you, man. And thank you for, um, thank you for striving. You've been through a lot. You've been through a lot of pushback, which like you said earlier, It's pretty good evidence that you're going in the right direction. So thankful for you, bro. And uh, thanks
0: for coming on. Thanks, man. We'll talk soon. Bye, buddy. See you. Peace.